Welcome, my friends, to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. I am the Tomb's proprietor, Headstone P. Gravely, and here I are two captive hosts, Shrey Lawson and James Hickson. Hey there, all you cool cats and kittens, and welcome to Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. My name is James Hickson. And I'm Trey Lawson. And later, I'll be covering Trey in sardine oil, and then you get a special surprise. Wait, what? Nothing. I, I did not agree to any of this. I didn't ask. So, um, first off, no, like... That that will not be happening. I think we can do better in terms of having a surprise for our listeners. Okay, if you say so. What are we thinking, like meth? I mean, that that's headed in the right direction. Meth and maybe a triple marriage? <laughs> we gotta give the people what they want, Trey. <sighs> and that was the suggestion that launched a thousand terrible fanfics that I will never ever read. <laughs> Most of them written by me. <laughs> so I take it you're you're taking a page from from Silver Age Alfred. <laughs> Wait a minute. You know about my dream? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm becoming the outsider and destroying you. Oh my. Anyway, speaking of um actually I have no idea what we're speaking about. You know what? Let's talk about the comics. <laughs> yeah, we we have uh two of them today. Uh, I know normally we do more than that, but, like we said, we've got a special surprise for our third segment, but we do have two comics for today. And that special surprise is not me feeding you to tigers? No. Okay. Never should have let you watch that Netflix documentary. Okay. Cool. Cool. I'm just gonna return this tiger costume. So, uh, our comics for today are actually two halves of the same story because we are covering the very first crossover between Tomb of Dracula and Werewolf by Night. Not the first crossover we've had on the show, obviously. Well, we we had a tease of this very story in the last issue. Right, but we also had the Ghost Rider crossover with well, Hellstrom. Right, I, I just meant the first crossover between those two titles. Okay, yeah. The first crossover between Tomb of Dracula and Werewolf by Night. And Dracula has appeared in Frankenstein. Yes, yes. Um, but. But this is a this, big one. Yeah, this feels more, more. Yes, and we'll talk about why. Like, this is, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's fair to say, not to hype it up too much, but this is the best crossover we've had so far. Shh, spoilers. <laughs> but. Before we dive into those two comics, we should first take a little bit of a detour into the hottest podcasting segment in town. We're talking about Hellstrom Watch. Oh, puts away sardine oil. <laughs> All right, Trey, what are, what's going on in the world of Marvel Media right now? Well, uh, all of Hollywood is still basically shut down. 
Okay. So there's not a whole lot of new production news. Right. However, we do have actually some Hellstrom related news. Oh, is it good news? I suppose that depends on your point of view, but because of the industry-wide shutdowns, the showrunner for Hellstrom on Hulu has been released from his development deal with Marvel. Oh, so is Hellstrom canceled? No, it is not. So And so the, the showrunner is uh, Paul Zibzisky. I'm not even going to attempt his last name, but... Uh, I'm actually not familiar with his other work. But the one thing that that insider sources say is that he is expected to finish post-production on Hellstrom, but that the rest of his development deal has been canceled. Paul Zibazewski. Sure, we'll go with that. Yeah, best I could do. Um... And, and so I'm not really sure what the rest of this development deal was going to be because almost all of the other Hulu-related stuff had already been canceled. But uh, Zibazewski's work with Marvel goes back to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, he, he was uh, uh, part of the, the production team on that show and then moved over to Hellstrom. Apparently he was the showrunner on Most Wanted as well. Okay. So that didn't go well for him. Right. No, it seems like his track record with Marvel has been developing things that then don't go anywhere. Yeah. Although we do have a a season of Hellstrom, it's just we don't know when it's going to be released. Right. At any time, because I think they're still doing post-production. Right. And like I say, uh, currently it is suggested that that post-production will wrap, that, that it will be finished, and presumably because... I mean, if they have a whole season of it, they might as well put it out. Yeah. Um, and, and the reason for the termination is uh, what is called in the industry uh, force majeure. Um, which uh, is basically a clause in a contract where uh, sort of act of God, unforeseeable incident type stuff can affect production. And it gives them a way to shut things down if it's not financially feasible to keep going forward. Makes sense. Also, we have other Marvel news. Marvel has been moving its release dates, of course, because of COVID-19. We now have Black Widow coming out supposedly November 6th, 2020. Right. We have The Eternals moving to February 12th. Right. We have Shang-Chi moving to May 7th. Mm-hmm. And we have Morbius's mo- uh, release date, and I don't think we talked about this before, moving to March 19th, 2021. Right. And on top of all that, just announced uh, very recently is the Venom sequel both has a new release date and an official title. Is it called Psych? We're not doing this anymore oh no no it's it's actually i kind of like the title to be honest uh so at first the moving of the release date it was originally supposed to come out this october which kind of makes sense like if you're going to release a comic book movie in the fall uh something like venom makes sense to do around the halloween season because he's kind of big and monstery okay um but instead of opening this october 
it is going to open June 25th, 2021. Did you know that I was the black costume Spider-Man for my second grade Halloween? Really? Yes. And this is before anybody knew what the black costume Spider-Man was. <laughs> well, right, because at first it, you had to be reading the comics to know that. Exactly. So, like, my costume was a black sweatshirt with mm-hmm. white tape and paint, I think. White tape and paint ma- used to make the spider. Right. Um, and I think a ninja mask... Makes sense. ...used to make the, the, the Spider-Man mask. And nobody knew who I was. Right. Because at that point, there wasn't a cartoon that had adapted the the alien suit. Nope. And I was also living in rural South Carolina. Right, right. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes. Uh, Venom 2 moving to June 25th, 2021. So it has gone from being a fall release to a summer release. Yep. And on top of that, it, it its official title is now Venom. Let there be carnage. I mean, if we have to. I kind of like the title because it sounds exactly like the title of what you would imagine a Carnage story in the 90s to be. Okay. And you've, you've a, just said like a bunch of my least favorite things, just so you know. <laughs> a lot of people are upset that it's not called Maximum Carnage. I am guessing, like if I, if I had to like put money on on a reason why it's not maximum carnage i'm guessing they're still holding out hope that they'll be able to bring in tom holland for a crossover and do maximum carnage as a venom spider-man team-up movie (sighs) that would be my guess uh okay but one thing is for sure james there's going to be carnage. Oh, God, why? Oh, why? Why? No, get get out. Get out. <laughs> get out. Do you like my, my Woody Harrelson as Cletus Cassidy impression? No, I didn't. There, there's going to be carnage. Oh, that's, that's worse than my Carol Baskins. Oh. <laughs> oh, gosh. <sighs> so, also... We have Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness moving to November 5th, 2021. With an official new director. Yep, Sam Raimi is officially the new director on that project. Yeah. Um, The Untitled Spider-Man 3 is moving to July 16th, 2021. Um, Evidently, they are continuing the pattern. Home will be somewhere in the title but they, they haven't announced what that title will be. Nope. And Thor, Love and Thunder, has moved to February 28th, 2022. Yep. Uh, let's see. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse has moved to April 8th, 2022. Yes. Black Panther 2 has moved to May 6th, 2022. Right. Captain Marvel 2 has moved to July 8th, 2022. And you've already talked about the Venom move. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, a whole lot of moves. Um, I, I guess the, the upside of all this is that at least the studios are anticipating 
at some point theaters will reopen. Yes. Although I do think it was poor planning on Sony's part to put Venom up against the new release date for In the Heights. Potentially. Although I would consider that counter-programming. You know? Like... I mean, yes, we are in the middle of the Venn diagram of someone who would be equally drawn to a comic book movie or a musical. But yes. for a lot of people, I think they would pick one or the other. I, I, I would go to Into the Heights. Sure. Um, actually, I, I, I think both of us are in the triple Venn diagram of comic book movie, slasher movie, and musical. <laughs> Oh, I'd watch that movie. (laughs) (laughs) And it's Jason versus Venom. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody call Lin-Manuel Miranda and get him to write new music now. Yep. But, yeah, and and of course a bunch of other non-Marvel dates have been shifting around too, which is part of what's influencing the dates they're picking. Like, uh, like the date that Venom 2 has moved to was originally the date that Batman was going to open, but they've moved Batman, so now Venom can open on that date. So it's all very, very complicated to follow, actually. And Batman is moving to that October. Yes. So it's weird. Like, Venom was going to be a fall movie, now it's a summer movie. Batman is going to be a summer movie, now it's a fall movie. Yep. Which, of course, everybody's speculating, this means they're doing Long Halloween. I'm like, no, it doesn't. Not necessarily. It means that they moved it to the next most profitable time. Yeah. Yeah. It is a little weird that we don't have a Batman movie coming out, you know, in the summer as a tentpole. Yeah, but I, I think that what's going on right now in the world is causing them to rethink a lot of their scheduling traditions. Mm hmm. Yeah. Okay. And oh, oh, that's other, other Marvel news. John Krasinski and Marvel have confirmed that they have been having talks with one another. Yes, which is interesting. Which, of course, the you know the long speculation is that he's going to play Mister Fantastic, and his wife is going to play Invisible Woman, and we're like, maybe not. And it's not necessarily like they they have swerved us before. Like yes, I mean, do you remember when everyone just knew that Vin Diesel was going to be Black Bolt? Yes, I remember that. And instead, we had Captain Pike. Yep, yep. I, I mean, I still I, have at not least watched I, Inhumans. I've never seen more than the trailer. Yeah, I watched the trailer. That was enough for me. Yep, yep. It, it's on Disney Plus. Like, I guess I could watch it, but. Is it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Weirdly, weirdly, all of the Marvel television stuff is there except for Agents of Shield because Agents of Shield has a streaming deal somewhere else right now. Netflix. Yeah. Netflix. Yeah. But but all the other MC because like Agent Carter is on Disney Plus. Agent Carter is good. It is. Um, which sort of shows the dysfunction of Marvel television that their best product was the one that didn't get renewed past season two. Yeah. Yeah, I think if, you know, it'd been Kevin Feige and Disney Plus running show then, we would have gotten more stuff like Agent Carter, less like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Probably. And to be fair, I 
I'm way behind on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but I never disliked it. And and honestly, it's one of those shows that gets better as it goes along. Like, by the time you hit season three or so, like, it, it has found its niche and has figured out a way to do interesting stories without feeling like they're all MCU side stories. I guess... I, I, like I said, I'm really behind too. I'm 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 just to the part where Ghost Rider shows up. I'm a little bit past that. Yeah, I I, I watched the Ghost Rider show up. And it's like, oh, that's neat. Okay, I can stop watching now. <laughs> um. Anyway, oh, what's next? Uh, so this is unrelated ish, but uh, apparently, as of today, Dragon Con is planning on moving forward with their usual Labor Day date. For now. For now. Hopefully they have pandemic insurance. But only for now. <laughs> Bring it back to musicals. <laughs> uh, but I think that more than does it for Hellstrom Watch. <laughs> Which, of course, means we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Tomb of Dracula number 18. Right after this message. Do you scan the night sky in search of unidentified aerial phenomena? Do you lose sleep over strange projects funded by the CIA? Ever wonder which orifices ectoplasm comes out of? Come explore the unexplained and unexplainable with us on our podcast, Weird, Obscure, and Possibly Unsafe. We'll talk about telepomancy, haunted railroads, sentient umbrella spirits, mind-altering video games, remote viewing, SpongeBob conspiracy theories, and only gets weirder from there. Each episode will share three stories about all the weird things they tell you not to believe. Weird, obscure, and possibly unsafe. Available anywhere you get your podcasts! Coming soon to this theater, a ghastly, ghoulish, and totally incredible motion picture. The Werewolf versus the Vampire Woman. Queen of the Vampires and Satan's favorite mistress. Werewolves and vampires will reign supreme and things will happen that have never been seen by human beings. Your blood will boil and your flesh will crawl. No one can escape the vampires, and no one can run from the werewolves. If you can take it, see the most sensational fight to the finish ever filmed. See the werewolf versus the vampire woman. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas. Our first story for today is Tomb of Dracula number 18, Enter Werewolf by Night. Cover date is March 1974, 
written by Marv Wolfman, art by Gene Colan, inks by Tom Palmer, letterer is John Costanza, the colorist is Linda Lessman, and the editor is Roy Thomas. Jack Russell and Topaz are traveling by train to Transylvania, as seen briefly in Tomb of Dracula number 17. Both have been unable to sleep, Topaz troubled by her past with Taboo, and Jack plagued by dreams of his father and the curse he inherited. The train arrives at its destination and the passengers depart. Meanwhile, Dracula has returned to his ancestral castle to plot his revenge against humanity. Back in the catacombs of Paris, Quincy Harker has found Blade unconscious, having been bitten and drained by Dracula last issue. Distraught that he has lost yet another person close to him, Quincy prepares to prevent Blade's transition into undeath. He raises the wooden stake over Blade's heart. And we cut back to Transylvania, leaving that plot thread dangling until next month. Jack and Topaz find a Transylvanian inn and secure lodging, and a creepy sailor called Scratcher tries to get handsy with Topaz, prompting Jack to deck the man with a right hook. The sailor swears revenge as Jack and Topaz retreat to their room. Jack voices his concern that there will be a full moon, but Topaz reminds him that she has controlled the werewolf before and should be able to do so again. That night, Scratcher returns for more creepiness and picks the lock to Jack and Topaz's room. Expecting to ambush the two while they slept, he is shocked to instead find himself face to face with the werewolf. The sailor tries to take Topaz hostage for some reason, but the werewolf lunges at him. The fight crashes through the inn and Scratcher tries to flee, but the werewolf pursues him outside. Topaz arrives and calms the werewolf, but it is too late to prevent the death of the creepy sailor. Just then, Dracula appears before them, intending to feed on Topaz. However, the vampire is shocked to discover a lack of fear in Topaz's eyes, which pierce through Dracula's mental defenses, distracting him long enough for the werewolf to attack. Dracula easily dispatches the beast, leaving him bloodied and broken. Dracula moves to drink the werewolf's blood, but Topaz intervenes again, and Dracula is compelled to depart, ultimately finding a random villager on whom to feed. Twenty hours later, Jack and Topaz arrive at Rusoff Manor, looking for answers about his father and their shared curse. He finds a locked diary in the manor's library, but before he can try to open it, he also triggers a secret entrance behind the bookcase. They follow the passage to a cave opening, where a telescope points across the countryside toward Castle Dracula. Jack resolves to visit that castle and to determine what connection Dracula had to his father. Inside Castle Dracula, the vampire has finished preparing a new set of coffins with Transylvanian soil so that he may return to Western Europe. Dracula also resolves that he will no longer be reduced to hiding in cemeteries, but will demand the dignity he deserves as Lord of the Vampires. As he makes his final preparations to leave, he notices Jack and Topaz approaching the castle. He transforms into a bat and descends on the pair once again. Before Jack can react, the giant bat grabs Topaz and flies away. Jack climbs after them, but as he reaches the top of the cliff, he succumbs to the light of the full moon and transforms once again into the werewolf. Dracula tries to interrogate Topaz, 
as the werewolf arrives for a second round of combat with the vampire. The fight is more even-handed this time, but ultimately Dracula still overpowers the werewolf. Topaz intervenes again, but before she can use her powers, Dracula knocks her unconscious. Dracula then turns back to the werewolf, intending to feed on its cursed blood. You know, it just occurred to me. Yeah? I'm pretty sure these two issues came out around Christmas. Probably. That sounds about right. Because in the bullpen, and I'm sorry to go into this so quickly, it talks about Marvel's Merry Christmas present to you. Yeah. So this crossover was a Christmas present. (laughs) Yeah, it was. And it's a good one. It's a real good one. Um, There's a lot to like here. Uh, This might be the first time we have had a splash page that started with because you demanded it and I feel like it's earned. Oh yeah. It, this is the crossover we've been waiting for. Yeah. This is actually the one that we have demanded. The others are okay, but this one this one's the good one. Yep. The, these are basically the two big Marvel horror titles at this point. Yeah. And notably Wolfman's writing both. Yep. Which Who else could bring it to you but a wolfman? Yeah. One thing that is interesting, though. The the cover says the Tomb of Dracula, but I would say this issue is at least 85% werewolf by night. In fact, I don't think Frank Drake or Rachel Van Helsing even show up in this issue besides a mention in the caption box. Yeah. Yeah, they're, it's sort of obliquely suggested that they depart the train at the same time that, that Jack and Topaz do, but we don't follow them. And nope. we have we have that one three-panel digression back to Paris to let us know what's going on with Quincy and Blade, but even that's just a setup for the next issue. Yep. Which I forgot all about that. The, yeah. The, the, the check-in with Blade. Yep who I guess will be dead next issue. So, fun while it lasted. Shame we never saw any more of that character ever again. Nope. Not at all. So, actually, I should probably mention the letters part. Yeah? Because So, my, mentioned... my, my copy is from a collection, so it doesn't have the letters page. So, what's going on there? Okay. They talk about how good Dracula 15 was. Yeah, it was good stuff. But... Dear Sirs, I've enjoyed every issue of Tomb of Dracula so far, especially since Mr. Wolfman joined in. Unfortunately, even the most loyal fans can either, by incident or accident, miss an issue. In most mags, this would not be any difference, but Tomb does little recapping, and this does lead to leaving some gaps in the characterizations. So can you please answer some of the questions for myself and other readers concerning... One, and this is the one we're concerned about, Blade. Why does What does Blade do for a living? Where does he get his money? Why is he hunting vampires? So, uh, the response, and I won't get into the rest of it right now, but the response is, Okay, Dan, we'll try an instant super playback, courtesy of the Marvel Time Travel Society and Marching Band. <laughs> One, we haven't revealed what Blade does for a living or how he makes the money on purpose. Keep watching Tomb of Dracula and Supernatural Thrillers for the answer. Interesting. You, you you saw the part that was especially interesting, right? The the that they mentioned two titles. Yes. Yep. Supernatural thrillers. 
Which, I looked ahead to see when Blade shows up in Supernatural Thrillers. Does he? He does not. I wonder if they changed their plans. Well, by the time he shows up, by the time we get Supernatural Thrillers again, it is Living Mummy. Right, because it, it takes a little bit of a hiatus. Right, I think it's a quarterly book. Well, because there was uh, Living Mummy, and then mm-hmm. there was a Headless Horseman issue that I think we're probably going to skip. Yep. Um, and then, uh, yeah, there's like one, two, three, there's a bunch of issues of Living Mummy. Until the series is canceled. Yeah. Basically when the horror bubble goes burst. So, yeah. So, evidently, they must have had plans to try and spin Blade off with either an origin story or a side story or something, and then they they changed their minds. Yeah, but I'm really curious, what was the plan for that Blade series? If I had to guess, I would imagine something sort of like... Like, I'm, I'm guessing sort of a supernatural James Bond kind of vibe. Sort of like that one issue of Tomb of Dracula that was all focused on Blade going after Dracula. That was a good issue. That was a real good issue. Like, I would have read... I would read a solo book that was like that. And I'm curious, is the reason they did not do it because Brother Voodoo kind of flops around this time? This is true. That That is entirely possible. But yeah, so, I mean... The, the the letter writer is right though that uh, that we really still know almost nothing about Blade and it's a shame because it looks like he is dead never to be seen again. Yep, yep, real shame that. So all of the all of those questions could very well go unanswered. Yep, certainly not discussed in further episodes of Tomb of Ideas. I'll tell you that much. Oh no, not at all. Nope. So. The rest of this issue, I mean, I really like it. It's a little weird, the reveal of the Rusoff Manor being right next door to Castle Dracula. I feel like he would have noticed that. Like, I, I, I think that might be something his mom might have mentioned when doing the recap. Mm-hmm. We 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 were basically basically you're in the you're in the garden house outside of Castle Dracula. Right, and I, I don't know, like... Now, granted, this is the manor. It's not Rusoff Castle, because the the castle has been sold. Yes. That, that's something that stuck me, too. We apparently have... They apparently have two homes. Right. So, they make sure to point out that the castle and the manor are two different locations. Yes. But then the rest of the story, they treat it as if it was the same location as what we saw in back in Marvel Spotlight. Yes, yes. They treat it as if it's the same location. Right. And that sort of gets to something that I noticed near the end of the issue, that I feel like there are times in this book where there's a little bit of what I am going to call uh, Marvel method miscommunication. Yes. Where the art is showing one thing, and then the dialogue suggests something else. Yes. I feel like that's happening with the manor, and I feel like at the very end of the issue, that's happening with the last panel. Well, I'm thinking, you know, Gene Colan didn't read 
Marvel Spotlight and realized that the castle got dismantled and moved to California. Right, right. And they try to fix it with dialogue. Right, yes. Uh, and and again, like like with the last page, the, the actually the last panel, like it looks to me like what the art is suggesting is that Dracula, having been momentarily distracted by Topaz, is now shocked that the werewolf is grabbing at him again. That's what it looks like. But that's not what the dialogue suggests. Hmm. Like, the dialogue does not acknowledge at all that the werewolf is currently grabbing at his clothes. No. Also, speaking of the art, what do we think of Gene Colan's depiction of... Uh, the werewolf here. It's a little more Universal Monsters than Plugues. Yeah. Like, it looks more like just a cinematic werewolf. You know, like, Plugues' werewolf has a very sort of distinctive silhouette that's closer to, like, early versions of Furry Beast or even the Jackal in Spider-Man. Like, like his head is a little more rounded, whereas this one is is just more of a conventional werewolf, I think. Yeah. I really... I'm, I'm not wild about it. It's, like, compared to Plug, but I do like the scene on page 10 where the sailor comes into the room. Oh, yeah. And you kind of get the idea that, like, if this, is a, if this is a film, you get that moment where his eyes adjust to the darkness. Yeah, and everything and, comes into focus. Yes, and, like... The werewolf and um, Topaz appear from the darkness. Yep. And the the sailor kind of just goes, "Oh fuck!" <laughs> like he, I will say, Colin does a good job of giving Scratcher that expression in the panel right before the reveal. Yes. The only thing that could possibly make it better is if it was after that reveal. <laughs> just like, oh crap. <laughs> oh. But yeah, no, like, like I think I agree with you. I I prefer Plug's version of the werewolf, just in terms of his silhouette and his expression. But I don't think this one's bad. It's just a little more no. generic. Uh, the depiction of Topaz is gorgeous. Yes, Topaz is good. Um, Speaking of Topaz, I am yes. still not entirely buying her relationship with Jack Russell. It moves so fast. So fast. Although it is a nice touch as they check in that Jack asks for two beds. Yes. And that's only because, you know, comics code. Right, right. Because I have no doubt that there was some stuff going on in that train car. Yeah. This is the first love interest of Jack Russell. I'm actually convinced, okay, he maybe might swing both ways. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and yeah. I think we'll, we'll, we'll get to some stuff in, in the next issue. But, uh, but yeah, yeah I, I agree, though, that their relationship has moved incredibly fast. Although so fast. I wonder if part of it is she's the first person that he's met who can, like... That he doesn't have to worry about what the werewolf will do to her. True. She's also the first woman he, he's he been with who knows about the werewolf. Right, right. Like, just straight up. 
that wasn't his sister. Right. So that's good as well. So. It's a really good part one. It is. And it's a lot of setup. And there's a fair amount of expositional stuff. But it all it all moves. You know, it, it never feels like you're stuck in one place reading a bunch of information. The information always pushes the story forward. Like I said, the only sticking point for me is this, the way they've tried to weave together the the Russell family and Dracula's backstories. Right, right. And, and I get why. Like, it... it for, I will say, like, honestly, at least that makes for a more substantial crossover. Yeah. But we'll save the rest of that for, I think, the next issue. Yes. The next issue we're covering on this episode. Right. For now, what we have is yet another tome owned by the Rusoff family. Yeah, real bibliophiles, this family. Mm-hmm. Which, nothing wrong with that. I, I own a few books myself. I even read <laughs> some of them. But, but yeah, but... Uh, but I think you're right, though, that in terms of story, like there's, we, we're at a point where we might need to stop and, and go over what happens in the next issue. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be, we'll be right back with Werewolf by Night number 15. Hi. I'm one of the high priests of Conchu Ray, and I have the sacred privilege of providing you, the loony listener, with a podcast honoring Marvel's very own Moon Knight. So join me and a host of others at Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or support the show by becoming a Patreon member. Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast. It's time to get your Conchu on. Welcome back to Invideas. Our next issue this episode is Werewolf by Night number 15, Death of a Monster. Cover date on this one is March 1974. Writer is Marv Wolfman. Artist is Mike Plug. Inker is Frank Ciaramonte. Letterer is John Costanza. Colorist is Petra Goldberg. Editor is Roy Thomas. We pick up again mid-battle as Dracula and the werewolf tear through Castle Dracula and into each other, culminating with the werewolf tossing Dracula from the balcony, much like one of those wrestlers Trey is so fond of. Yet, unlike John Cena, Dracula transforms into a bat in mid-fall and uses the opportunity to escape and feed on a local woman to recharge his strength. 
As the beautiful sorceress Topaz calms the beast that would be her lover, Jack Russell, in Castle Dracula, outside a helicopter approaches carrying another young couple. These are a young couple of vampire hunters, Frank Drake and Rachel Van Helsing. These high-flying hunters are soon intercepted by their quarry, however, as Dracula flies through the helicopter canopy in mist form and attacks Frank Drake in bat form, forcing them to land a helicopter. Some hours later, back at Rusoff Manor, Topaz and Jack study her, his father's diary and discover the origins of his family curse. The diary tells of another member of the Rusoff family, Baron Rusoff, who centuries ago had his own encounter with Dracula. The Baron takes vengeance on the vampire for the death of his wife, staking him in his coffin. Upon leaving Castle Dracula, the Baron discovers a beautiful young woman named Lydia being held captive in the castle. As the two make their escape across the moonlit night, however, Baron Rusoff discovers that the girl has a secret. She is a werewolf. She, of course, bites the Baron, cursing his bloodline with lycanthropy. That night, after attacking Frank and Rachel once again at their inn, Dracula goes to sabotage their helicopter, but is himself attacked again by the werewolf. The Lord of Vampire quickly realizes that there is something different about this fight. The lycanthrope's movements are much more planned and less animalistic than before. Realizing that the werewolf's bestial mind is being held in check by the magus of the nearby Topaz, who is holding a diary which Dracula has apparently been trying to get a hold of this whole time. Taking the book from the girl, Dracula takes a moment to revel in his victory before the tome is knocked from his cold hands by a wooden crossbow bolt fired by a freshly arrived Rachel van Helsing, who takes the folio for further study. Momentarily distracted by another attack from the werewolf, Dracula takes off in pursuit of the young vampire hunters who are escaping in her helicopter all three of them disappearing into the night. So if the last issue was a Tomb of Dracula that was 85% Werewolf by Night, this is a Werewolf by Night that has a whole lot of Tomb of Dracula in it. Yep. Which is it kind is. of a nice like, way for cool. to go, I'm, honestly. Honestly, it, it seems like good marketing, because that gives... Like, if you're a reader who had just been following Werewolf by Night... Even if you didn't pick up the crossover mm -hmm. issue, you're getting a big dose of Tomb of Dracula in your Werewolf by Night issue, which might encourage you to pick up the next book, since the cliffhanger mostly takes you into Tomb of Dracula. You got chocolate in my peanut butter. <laughs> it's, it, it, it's, yeah, it, it kind of leads very nicely into the, what's next for both stories. Well, more so for Tomb of Dracula. Yeah, yeah. It leads very nicely into what's next for Tomb of Dracula. Although we should probably talk about the biggest sticking point for this issue right here. Mm -hmm. Frank, Drake, and Jack Russell look exactly alike. Yeah. Topaz and Rachel Van Helsing look exactly alike. Yeah, Plug isn't the most... Uh, he doesn't have a whole lot of variety in his faces. To the point where there are several times I go to a page and it takes me a second to realize, oh, wait a minute, these are two different characters. Right. Like, the biggest tip-off for me is clothes. And I have to look for a second, study the clothes carefully, be like, okay, this is Frank. Oh, no, this is Jack. Right. I mean, we complained before about, like, you know, Johnny Blaze and 
Jack Russell looking exactly alike, but we didn't have to have this, them in the same book with one another. Right, right. Yeah, no, that I, I was thinking the same thing. That, again, I, I think that's... We, we tend to praise Plug a lot, and I think there's a lot to praise Plug about in this issue, but in terms of faces, he's got kind of a limited range. Yes. Or at the very least, in terms of... It's almost like... Plug has certain faces for certain character types, and the problem is when you start adding characters from multiple books, he's got multiple characters of the same type. Yes, the strapping young man type. Right, right. Which is interesting because, like, if I were to say, like, I think if... I think if Frank Drake had appeared in that Tomb of Dracula issue we just talked about, he would look nothing like Jack Russell. Right. Because because Colin tends to have more range in his faces and expressions. But also, just of what we've seen of Frank Drake before Into Dracula, he doesn't look anything like Jack Russell. Right, right. I think it's kind of like, I guess, like, nobody gave Mike Plug a guide. Right, like a character sheet or anything. Yeah, it's... Which is weird, because you would think that if, if no one else, Wolfman, working on both books, would have communicated something. Yeah. But apparently not. Also, is it just me, or does Baron Rusoff look like Peter Cushing? Yes. Uh, well, yes. I would say specifically Peter Cushing mixed with mid-70s Vincent Price. Like, there's a little bit of both. Which they have, okay. they have similar like cheekbones anyway. Like in that era, like their their faces are kind of similar, but there are times when, depending on how the shadows catch him, sometimes I see Peter Cushing, sometimes I see Vincent Price. Okay, that makes sense, especially since we've before seen, I think Plug depict Dracula as Vincent Price, basically. Yes. Yes. So I wonder. Is this flashback to Dracula's death the one that happened most recently? It can't be. Because we've definitely seen stuff that's like, you know, ten years prior to... Right, right. ...the appearance in To a Dracula number one. Yeah. So it, it can't be this the most recent. Oh, right. Also, this in in this instance, the, the coffin was lined with garlic and thrown into the water. There you go. So it'll be interesting to see where we where that shows up again. I I, I kind of wish I want to I want somebody to make a time. There has to be a timeline out there somewhere of Marvel's Dracula. Probably, and I'm sure that like there's a whole weird twisting story that weaves its way through the Dracula Lives stories. Yes, and Deadpool gets involved somewhere in the modern chronology. So yep, yep. It gets weird, guys. And, just... and, and, you know, and let's not forget when he gets his castle on the moon. God, that was so cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot about the castle on the moon. That's so good. They should have recruited Jack Russell for that mission. Really should have. Just been like, we need you. Or, or at least Manwolf. Yeah. Damn. Oh. Of course, that was the time where Manwolf was appearing in She-Hulk. This is true. This is true. Uh, they were married. Yeah. They were married at that time. Um, so is it just me, or is this the most aggressive that we've seen Dracula in a while? 
He definitely goes after Rach, Frank and Rachel for no reason in the end. Like, not luring people to him, but legit just, like, going after them. Yeah, it's definitely a change in his M.O. But, like, if he had just gone to the helicopter first, I think, like, most of his problems would not have happened. This is, yes, yes, I think you're right. But because he took that time to go and sabotage... Well, because he took that time to go and basically rustle Rachel's hair a bit, that means that he wasn't a- he he wasn't able to get there before the werewolf was waiting for him. Right. Oh, I just noticed another difference between uh, Rachel Van Helsing and Topez. The scar. Uh, that th- okay. First off, you can't count on the scar because the scar is depicted. Inconsistently. Inconsistently. Very inconsistently. Yeah. But Rachel Van Helsing's hair is a darker shade of blonde. Yes, it is. Like, one is, like, platinum. Topaz is, like, platinum. Yes. Like, she has hair we'll later see on Felicia Hardy. Yes. But, yeah, Rachel Van Helsing's hair. And Rachel Van Helsing's hair is a little less bouncy than Topaz's. I get the feeling that we're supposed to get the idea that Topaz is more beautiful. Probably. But of course, but of course, Topaz is also more wish fulfillment girlfriend. This is true. This is true. And Rachel is a more rounded character. Yes. Well, At least she was before they got sidelined for issues. Right. Yeah. We. This is the most time we've spent with Rachel and and Frank in a while. Um. Well, I guess they were featured fairly prominently in the train issue. Hmm. But. But before that, they just disappeared for a while. Well, like, one of the layers I didn't talk about in The Tomb of Dracula talks about how he, the reader liked what they're doing where they're phasing out Rachel and Frank and all the rest of the vampire hunters in favor of these new Chinese scientists storyline, which I'm like... I think okay, that's all man. the same story, though. I think it is. I think he's missing the point a bit, which is... You know, he'll get there eventually. Yeah, but, yeah, no, I, I have to totally disagree with that, because I I get grumpy if we go too long without a check-in with Frank and Rachel and, and Quincy and Blade. Right. You know, and of course, we've talked about this before, it's the problem with having a villain as your main character. Right. You want heroes. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's like, if you had an ongoing book called Doctor Doom in this era. And and you would get mad because, you know, I wish we could see more Reed Richards. But, like, at the same time, it's called Doctor Doom. Richards! <laughs> speaking, yeah, just... speaking of letters pages, uh, the werewolf uh, letter page, Weremail by Night, has oh, yet God. another chump complaining that the hangman should not have been portrayed as a villain. You want to read this one, or should I? I can do it. I've got it pulled up here. Oh, God. Dear Marv, Gill, Tom, and Roy, This letter is going to be a complaining one, so you may as well brace yourself. I don't plan to be gentle. I don't understand why you portrayed the hangman as a villain. For once, a masked character comes along who's not soft on crime or criminals, and you make him out to be a pervert. A scaled-down big brother who keeps all the good people, 
all of whom just happen to be women, of course, in a dungeon where he can protect them. Come on. Don't you realize what the hangman is? He's the archetype of the rugged American individualist, the man whose motives are holy and entirely noble, and who's not afraid to take action, even drastic action, to preserve what is good in our society. He's the man who rejects the psychologist's double talk about crime, the man who sees that evil is evil, and that's all there is to it, the man who won't sit by and hear a criminal's excuses for his behavior, because there is no excuse for such behavior. The man who knows there's nothing pitiable about evil. He's a hero, you dolts, not a villain. And I resent your wishy-washy, Easter-liberal attempts to portray him otherwise. Finally, a man comes along who shows, shows us how to fight back against the power structure that mollycoddles criminals, and you present him as a nut. You should be ashamed. This guy is fun on dates, I bet. <laughs> Holy crap. I mean, he ba if it was modern day, he called them libtards. Yes, yes. It's just, oh, oh, God. Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about a reader missing the point. Yeah. It's completely and utterly. It's like, mmm. Uh, yeah, that, that's that's not a good letter. It's real bad. It's real bad. <clears throat> there's wrong, and then there's this guy. Yeah. Um, but in, in happier news in the Wear Mail by Night page is that in one of the replies, <clears throat> so there, there's a letter that praises the, the art and inks on Werewolf, and... In their reply, they point out that Mike Plug, currently drawing Werewolf by Night, will begin penciling Man-Thing with issue number five. So that's going to be interesting. Yeah. I am... I, I haven't looked ahead. Um, it, and it's been a long time since I read those early Man-Thing issues. But I am eager to visit a comic that combines Steve Gerber's weird writing with Mike Plug's weird layouts. Yeah. Ooh, that sounds fun. Right? Oh, I'm looking forward to that. I wonder if Plug is going to get draw Howard the Duck. I hope so. It's... Oh, that would be fun. That would be real fun. Um, the only other thing that I would point out in the, like non-story pages here is there's a bullpen um, page which is mostly just about uh, wishing everyone a Merry Christmas because this was an issue that came out around Christmas time and talking about some some new books and change-ups to creative teams but there is a single portrait of a brand new character who will be un unveiled in the year 1974 and so we have a portrait of just the head of Iron Fist and a speech bubble of gibberish because this was during the, a the age of Foom, uh, Friends of Old Marvel. And if you were a card-carrying Foom member, you would receive uh, uh, materials to decipher codes. And so this portrait of Iron Fist is, uh, has dialogue written in one of these codes. And... I did a little sleuthing and figured out that 
The translation is, Make way for Iron Fist, the man with hands like tempered steel. Nice. Like a hand onto iron. (laughs) My comic has a hole in it here. Oh, really? Oh, is it uh, on the letters page? It is. That would be the Marvel value stamp. Yes, it would. So they they used to have these, they looked like postage stamps. They were not legal postage stamps, but they looked like it. And they encouraged readers to clip them out and collect them. Which apparently somebody who had this comic before me did. Yep. Um, The one for this issue is a Morbius portrait. Oh, that would have been nice to see. Yeah. Thanks, jerk. (laughs) Yeah. Marvel Comics, encouraging kids to deface and devalue their comics since the 1970s. Yep. (laughs) As opposed to the publisher just ripping off the cover and sending it back. Right, right. But uh, back to the the story, though. Um, What do you think of uh, of the actual fight that we get between Werewolf and Dracula? Now that we've seen it from basically beginning to end. It's it's a good fight. I mean, I really enjoy it. I would have liked Topaz's magic to be a little more clear and a little more fantastical. Yeah. Like a little more spectacular. But it's it, it, fine. It's still vaguely defined. Yes. It's some kind of mental powers, but even Dracula doesn't seem to know what they are. Also, she's called a sorceress, so... This may be my D&D brain talking, but I expect a little bit more from a sorceress. Right, right. Than some psionic powers. Right, like she she unlocks the diary. Although, that might be Taboo's fault. Right. Well, because she does say that her powers are weaker than they used to be. And we did see Taboo siphon some power from her to attack Jack Russell, and that thing was very dramatic in its, you know, shooting rays from his hands sort of th- sort of thing. Right, right. So, so that might be the reason. Yeah, and I, there's a note somewhere in here that she she tells Jack there's only so much she can do right now because of what, to- what uh, Taboo did to her. Okay, that makes sense. That make they yeah that, that makes sense. I would like more interaction between Topez, Jack, and Frank, and Rachel Van Helsing. Right, they they kind of just sort of pass in the night. They do like Rachel comes in, st- steals a book from Dracula, and then they take off, and that was the end of it. And at no point does either Frank or Rachel stop to say, "Oh, huh, a werewolf? That's weird." Yes. <laughs> Or like, hey, we're taking this book that belongs to you right. because Dracula wants it. Hope uh, you don't mind. A book with an arrow sticking out of it, by the way. Uh, that That's technically a bolt, sir. <laughs> but yeah, it's just... <laughs> it's, a, it's a rushed ending. It is. It, it's also interesting how the dynamic, like the way the fight is shown, shifts from Colin's art to Plug's art. How so? Um, just uh, the colon art, and part of it's that the the Tomb of Dracula I'm reading has modern coloring, so it, it automatically looks different. But the colon fight at the end of the Tomb of Dracula issue seems less sort of 
gritty. Like it's it's less sort of in the the thick of things. Instead, you've got these and admittedly cool, very long panels that have like a little bit of action at the bottom and then a silhouette at the top showing the the shadows of the characters. Yeah, like like it's it's cool, but it, it's a more stylized cool. Whereas the Plug book surprisingly feels way more physical. Like you've got panels of punches and grabs and and bites and 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 sort of right there in the middle of the action. Yes. It's there's a point in the Tomb of Dracula issue where Colin tries to do a Plug S Jack Russell transformation. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Page twenty seven. Is that is that the and second just, night? Yeah, second yeah. night. It just doesn't have the same flair. No. It's an interesting Plugs. idea, but I don't know that he pulls it off. Too many eyes. Yeah, because that's basically what it is, is he tried to show like the the different versions of Jack from human to wolf overlapping with each other, but ultimately all you can see are his eyes over and over again. Yes. It's like if you've ever uh, highlighted a photo of someone in Photoshop or something and then just used the clone tool to drag it across the screen. I've done like that where it just all duplicates times. it where it duplicates itself over and over again. Yes. It sort of looks like that. That's exactly what it looks like. But yeah, uh, so so that to me that was interesting. The the I would have sort of thought that would be flipped. That the plug would be the more like stylistic and and stylized version of the fight, and that Colin's would be more physical. But it ended up being the other way around. Exactly, where Plugs felt more like that SmackDown we kind of promised at the beginning of the show. Yeah, in, in and... fact, it, honestly, it kind of. I, I think you're right in looking back to colon doing the transformation because i think what we're getting we have colon trying to do plug because really this is a werewolf by night issue and in werewolf by night we have plug trying to do colon because it's a tomb of dracula issue that's actually really cool okay so final verdict how do we feel about this crossover does it live up to the anticipation we've built up for it I'm going to say yes with an asterisk. Okay. Because it doesn't really resolve. No. That's that's my problem with it is that there's not really an ending because what it what it does is just set you up for another issue of Tomb of Dracula. I would agree as well, except I want that scene of Frank and Rachel and Topez all just wailing on Dracula. Yes. Yes. That that would but, be cool. But I feel like we can't have that because that would be the end of the book. <laughs> right, right. That 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 would be them winning. That would be them winning. Because I feel like with two experienced vampire hunters, mm-hmm. a freaking magic user, and a werewolf, even against Dracula, that's going to be a fight they can't win. Yeah. Or he can't win, rather. And And I agree with you, the ending feels a little rushed. Um, it feels like they ran out of pages. Yes. Uh, and case in point, going back to the the way that it doesn't really resolve, it, even though this is an issue of Werewolf by Night, it only sets up the next issue of Tomb of Dracula. It does nothing to set up the next issue of Werewolf. Nope. 
a new menace beckons, the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Which is an old menace. Yeah, we're not even in Transylvania anymore. Right, right. Like, we're not... But we get no setup for that. We just get a blurb. All of the setup is to take you back to the next Tomb of Dracula. Yep. And to me, that's weird. Well, and at that, it's set up for the next issue of Tomb of Dracula, in which everyone's fighting over a book that belongs to the werewolf by night. Yep. But I guarantee you he won't be there anymore. <laughs> nope. So th- to me that's weird. That that handoff at the end feels weird. The next issue is advertised as Snowbound in Hell of Tomb of Dracula by the way. Interesting. So I have no idea what's going on there. Me either. Um uh, so what do you think of the uh, the werewolf's origin? I feel like it's contradicted somewhere. Probably. I feel like this contradicts something we've read before, but I can't remember what, so okay. Well, so, well, I mean, we've got the... It's weird, because we're basically getting layers of curses, because we we had the flashback to Jack's father in the beginning of the story. Like, the beginning of Werewolf by Night as a concept. Yes. Um, and And that strongly suggested... That somehow his curse was related to the Darkhold. Yes, it did. That's that's what I was thinking. Yeah, and here it is saying, no, no, just because the Darkhold is gone doesn't mean anything, because your curse is older than that. Oh, gosh. Uh... And now there's this new book that Dracula says is even more powerful than the Darkhold. Darkhold 2. <laughs> Electric glue. <laughs> yep. So, so we do have set up for further Werewolf by Night stuff, but it all seems bound up in this book that just took a detour into Tomb of Dracula. Yes, it did. So it's weird. I, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about that ending. Maybe this. You know, we talked about how last issue was the the series finale. Yeah. This maybe this is the series premiere season two. Yeah, I, I, it's it. Where it has that. We've got a new. Sh- we've got a new showrunner, so all the plot lines we were setting up at the end of last season have to get wrapped up real quick, so we can do something entirely different. Yeah, with the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Even though I'm pretty sure it's still Marv Wolfman. Don't yeah. quote me on that. Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty sure he stays on the book for a little while. So, unless he's yeah. unless it's him setting up all his stuff for Tomb of Dracula. <laughs> but yeah, this is this is a big one. We have crossed the first encounter of the werewolf and Dracula. Yeah. It's it's I've been really looking forward to this one and you know, maybe it's par- partially my anticipation, just partially the thing. Hee hee, our two big monsters are crossing over, they're hitting each other, it's fun. But, I liked it. Again, you know, with, with caveats, but I liked it. Sure. It comes closer to being the book I wanted it to be than the Frankenstein crossover ever did. We still haven't finished that Frankenstein crossover. We haven't, but I don't have high hopes. <laughs> No, I'm, I'm not particularly biting at the bit to do so. I think if we had split this crossover between two two episodes, I would be like, come on, man, come on. 
Right, right. This is this is by far what what you want a crossover to be for the most part. Again, we had our quibbles, but but push comes to shove. Dracula fighting the werewolf makes for a fun fight. Yeah, and the stakes feel real. By as weird as it is that they've meshed these these origins together uh, for this this crossover. It, it gives the fight some stakes that the Frankenstein stuff we've read don't have. Uh-huh, you said stakes. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. And it, it's it's good. Yeah, it's... no, there's, it, it, there's just more you can sink your teeth into. Oh, that was intentional. No, I'm doing it on purpose now, yes. <laughs> All right, while I go ahead and get the sardine oil, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back for a special surprise, and we'll talk about what we're going to be covering next episode. I'm Joe Bob Briggs, and I'm proud to announce that we are back. The last drive-in, Fridays at 9, starting April 24th, only on Shutter. People always say to me, Joe Bob, it's embarrassing. How do I describe the last drive-in to my parole officer? Well, here's what I tell mine. We show some new movies, some old movies, some classic movies, some cult movies, some weird foreign movies, some obscure movies, pairing them up in double features that sometimes challenge logic and sanity. Carpet day! Then drill down into the heart of those movies by ferreting out background on the filmmakers, background on the way the movies are produced, and we count the number of dead bodies, and sometimes we dance and or sing, and we drink beer and have a lizard named Ernie. And doing all this by interrupting each movie for commercial breaks, even though we don't have any commercials. And inviting guests who sometimes are in the movies and read mail from you, the viewers, brought to us by the voluptuous mail girl. Building up the horror community and making them realize Great movie, huh? that the drive-in will never die. So say that, pee in a cup, and join us Friday, April the 24th for the last drive-in on Shudder. Welcome back, Tomb Believers. Now, we don't have any mail for this episode, but we do have a very special guest. We have a male girl. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Darcy, the male girl from Joe Bob Briggs' Last Drive-In. Yeah, we're thrilled to have you. Hi. Thanks for inviting me to the tomb. <laughs> now, my first question would be how you got into the tomb, but I'm just assuming getting through cursed stone walls is one of your superpowers as a male girl. Yeah, it's a male girl requirement. Oh. That makes sense. Yeah, it comes in handy, like, so much. <laughs> All right. Uh, now, I have it on a good authority that in addition to horror, you've been known to enjoy comic books from time to time. True. Do you have a favorite comic book character? Well, I named myself after Wonder Woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so let's go with her. <laughs> did you enjoy the, the movie that came out? Oh, my God. It was so good. I'm so happy because I, I was so sad about Justice League. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And... and you know, they, they pushed back the, the new one, but the trailer looks really cool. I know. I know. That was supposed to be my birthday movie this year, and they moved it, so that sucks. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, in addition to that, since we mostly cover the, the horror comics and the monsters and things, did you ever read any of those? Yeah. That can include, like, we talk about Ghost Rider, we talk about, you know, some of the monstery superheroes, too. Yeah, no, I, I, I read... Not as passionately as I used to read, like, just the straight-up comics, but definitely I monster superheroes, but also EC and stuff like that I used to read. 
Yeah. No, they put out some really great collections of, of the old uh, EC stuff. Yeah, I'm sitting here looking at this giant book that I have right now. It's like all the old art from like every old issue. It's amazing. It's now, huge. <laughs> you mentioned EC Comics. Were you a big Tales from the Crypt fan as a kid? Oh, out? heck yeah. Yes. Love Tales from the Crypt. Love the Crypt Keeper. <laughs> like, I always thought that's like when, like, maybe... After Joe Bob, after Elvira, after Svengoolie, he's like maybe the fifth best horror host. In my <laughs> opinion. <laughs> I, I think he's in a category all on his own. <laughs> now, have you met him yet? Uh, the character or the, the actor behind him? Oh, <laughs> I have met. I have met uh, the guy who played Crypt Keeper. I'm blanking on it right now, but I have met him, and he's amazing. And he talked to me in his Crypt Keeper voice, and I was just freaking out. <laughs> That is so cool. Understandable. Now, you're associated with horror, of course. Do you have a favorite horror subgenre? Yeah, like slashers, ghost stories. Slasher, um... slasher, slasher, slasher. Oh, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, big time slasher. Everything else is a distant second. <laughs> so, so you're definitely an 80s horror girl? Um, not necessarily. I would say 90s is, is actually my favorite, but there's awesome slashers in every decade, really. What's your favorite 90s slasher film? Well, Scream is my favorite film of all time. I don't know if that really counts as slasher. Some people say yes, some say no. Oh, I, I think it's a slasher. It, yeah, it's, so um, it's meta, but it's a slasher. Then, then definitely Scream. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you mentioned uh, in one of the first Last Drive-In screenings that you prefer the, uh, the remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre to the original. Any other remakes like that that you think are superior? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't automatically like the remakes better, which a lot of people seem to think. Joe Bob always says that. Like, oh, there's a remake you don't prefer. It's like, that's it's just based on the movie. And Chainsaw is because, like, it's so much gorier and, like, faster paced. And I saw that one first. So then I went back and watched the original after all this hype of it being the goriest movie, the scariest thing you'll ever see. And it was like, really, though? <laughs> Um, it's almost all suggestion. Yeah. Like it's not showing you anything. Yeah. So you go from the remake to that, and it's just like, well, okay. So there's other ones like that. Like, I saw um, Black Christmas before I saw the original Black Christmas. Like, it made me want to yeah. go back and watch it, and I like the, the I guess it's not even the new one anymore, but the 2006 Black Christmas, I, I like better. Um, I'm sure there's others that if you throw some at me, I can let you know. There's definitely um, some other ones where I have to stand by it. Uh, the crazies I like better. Yeah. Um, um, the one I always come back to is Hills Have Eyes. Yes, exactly. That's a perfect example. I love that one compared to the other one I have respect for, but the, the remake is just a lot of fun. Yeah. Okay. So kind of getting out of the slasher area for just because I'm curious, uh, do you have any like any favorite of the golden oldies, like, you know, the 30s universal horror or maybe like hammer horror films? Oh, for sure. Um well, my son is a huge Universal movie and actually Hammer, too, so we live on those. So out of Universal, I guess my number one is probably Frankenstein. Hammer is a little bit harder because there's so much to just pick from. So most, I don't know, anything Christopher Lee really is you're not going to go wrong with. That's very true. What about you guys? Are you fans of that? Are you fans of the older? Definitely. I now he's more of the horror expert in our group because I was always, I guess, too chicken shit as a kid to watch horror films. 
I was too. Like I had to make up for everything way late. <laughs> See, I, I grew up on this stuff, uh, mostly watching them with my dad. Uh-huh. And, uh, and so, uh, yeah, he started me early with the universal stuff. Uh, creature from the black lagoon was a favorite. Oh yeah. Um, and, and then with the hammer ones, you're, you're right. If it has Christopher Lee, and especially if it has Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing, you're in for a good time. Exactly. Most of my early <laughs> exposure to horror films was actually horror documentaries. Yeah, that's <laughs> like unusual. <laughs> Turner Classic Movies would do like a documentary on the Universal Horror Films. and like, okay, maybe I can handle like, watching the actual film now. Okay, maybe I'll be okay. Aw, <laughs> that's, that's adorable. Yeah, and, and of course for me... Uh, as I got a little bit older, one of the main ways I, I saw stuff was through Monster Vision. You know, I'd, I'd try to catch the double feature on a Friday night, and if I couldn't hang in there, I had the VCR set to catch the second movie. Monster Vision, because I was still kind of a chicken when I was watching stuff then, um, made it safe. It's like if I like it enough that I can go back and watch the unedited version later, but this is enough for me to know. Tales from the Crypt, going back to that, John could see her, by the way. But anyway, that used to scare the heck out of me. And, like, I would just, like, sneak in and watch the opening only and and, and feel brave if I got through that and then turn it off immediately and, like, run out the room. So it took me a long time to be able to sit through Tales from the Crypt, which was unedited. So I think I didn't start doing it until it started being syndicated. And then I'm like, well, if there's anything super scary, they're going to cut it out. So I always love the baby vision. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. As a kid, TV edits were great for that. Yeah. Because if if you you know were too concerned about the gore and stuff, because I didn't get into slashers till a little later, and even then, like my first slasher that I remember watching was Jason Takes Manhattan, and it was was definitely a network TV edit. Wow, that had to be painful. Like I think I think Trey has an advantage here because you know his parents watched the horror films with him. Like that was not done in my household. I think you can 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 kind of relate to that as well. Like if you were watching a horror film in my household, it's because you were doing something you weren't supposed to do be doing. You stayed <laughs> you stayed at past your bedtime. You you're doing something wrong in the first place. Sure. I think one of the first horror films I ever watched all the way through was Night of the Living Dead, the original, at two o'clock in the morning by myself during a storm wow that's <laughs> like, beautiful though <laughs> it really is it, from, from it, at the time i was scared to death but like as an adult I realized wow that's really the like the perfect condition to watch that film in for real yeah it's a great introduction <laughs> so um to, to shift gears just a little bit you've been traveling around with joe bob doing shows and conventions and stuff how was the experience of joining in on his uh how redneck saved hollywood tour um, insanity. <laughs> um, he, he, up until quarantine, like we're having a break now, but it was nonstop, like before then. And he's very like used to it, living out of a suitcase, like talking to everyone, new different city all the time. And I'm a little bit more, um, we're like socially, socially anxious. <laughs> so it, it, it was harder for me to like jump in and just be part of all this, but I love being able to help him. And then, I love getting to meet people at all these things. Like, I'll, I'll start out scared, but then by the end, I'm like, oh, I love everyone here. It's great. <laughs> so well, it was really fun. And I hope we get to go back to it soon. <laughs> yeah. I will say from our, our experience attending the Charlotte show, you are one of the most charming people I've ever met. Oh, my God. That's really sweet of you. Yes. It did not show <laughs> if, if you were nervous at all. So. Well, thank you for that. Sir Per made it a little easier. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Exactly. <laughs> I can not be happy with surfers there. Very. <laughs> and and uh, so does is are doing those shows where it's just you and Joe Bob like any different from like doing a fan convention or something? Um, fan convention takes more stamina. Mm. <laughs> like those are those are long days. So um, uh, I don't know. It's different in that way. Otherwise, it's pretty okay. much the same. <laughs> what would you say has, was your best experience? going to a convention as a fan like before i worked with joe bob or as like from a fan point of view with joe bob because like I, I still fan out at at these things with him like i'll be like oh guys so like our like one of the last ones or we went to whatever was like sid hayden was our neighbor and i was just like oh my god and then like uh the reason jericho's doing our show this upcoming week is because he was our neighbor at one and just like alice cooper was sitting right across from us at at one in, in that we did over Halloween. I'm just like, what? <laughs> and Joe Bob's so like over it, doesn't care, but I make him like fanboy out with me. I'm like, come on, come on, we have to go talk to them. <laughs> and I like use him as a guard and like, go, go talk to Alice Cooper and I'll be behind you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fair because he's probably, if, if not like knowing them, he at least has encountered them before. And so that can be an easy way in. Exactly. Like he knows most people and you just feel like, hey, how are you doing? And I, I'm just like, <laughs> so it's fun to have him as a buffer and I get awesome pictures of him being humiliated by having to be a fanboy <laughs> <laughs> well you, you mentioned Chris Jericho uh, and it's already uh, you know it's it's out into the world that uh, Le Champion is appearing as a special guest yeah. uh, and I know that you're an AEW fan yeah uh, I am too mm-hmm. and uh, we're, how involved were you in, in making this, this team up happen <laughs> Like two million percent. <laughs> I'm like, you, this needs to happen. Let's do this. And he's like, sure. I'm like, yay. <laughs> so that's good. Uh, and, and to follow up on that, Joe Bob seemed pretty knowledgeable about Jericho during the Halloween Hootenanny. So is is he a, a secret wrestling fan too? He is. Like he, yeah. They used to team up, kind of like they used to be on um, TNT. Back in the days, so yeah, he he knew him like kind of then, and he pays attention. He just really knows about everything. <laughs> like I'm just amazed you can bring up any topic with him, and he knows an hour of information about it. Like literally anything, it's insane. Chris actually said he's like, you must have like prepped him on like all the stuff about me. I'm like, nope, <laughs> that's just him, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I was definitely impressed because he he clearly knew his stuff. Uh, when he, he had the fairly lengthy discussion about Jericho. Yeah, man, I was impressed too. I was like, okay, man. <laughs> I'm just sitting I'm trying, back. I'm still trying I, to get him to go to AW show with me. He hasn't gone yet. And we were supposed to go to the one in, in May in uh, Las Vegas, but we just found out that's not going to happen either. So Yeah. No, they, and they haven't made it terribly close to, to where I'm now. So uh, I have to catch it on, on cable. Yeah. I've had to fly out. Like, I kind of... When we've had weekends off, I'm like, oh, where are they this week? Where can I go? <laughs> so That's cool, though. I, I, I did see the, the ringside uh, pictures that yeah, <laughs> got taken. Yeah, that, that was a little nuts. So I kind of, I still say ringside, but like sitting camera view the whole time is awkward. <laughs> but I could see it. Yeah. <laughs> we've been doing the show for like a year now. He's he's so happy to have, finally have somebody to talk wrestling with. It's insane. Aw, that's awesome. <laughs> 
Yeah, James is not a wrestling fan. It's just it's it, it, it it's always the thing that preempted something else that I wanted to watch. What? <laughs> for, uh, I'm sorry. It's okay. It's not for everyone. <laughs> so, um, since we were talking about the uh, Jericho on the last drive-in, one of the things about uh, the show as it has developed and and grown over the various marathons and and the the last season is I love the way that the crew of the show gets to sort of be an on-screen presence and how that's sort of gradually come up uh, with John Patrick Brennan and Yuki Nakamura sort of taking part in the festivities as the night goes on. Yeah, I love that too. How did that come about? Did that just happen? Did that just happen organically or was there a decision made to do that? Um, well, John Brennan at first happened organically. Like he was singing the song like kind of off camera. I'm like, dude, get your ass on camera. <laughs> and so he, he, cause he was sitting there with like these little reindeer ears and stuff. I'm like, come on. And he's like, okay. And he walked out. I think it was like during um, the Christmas uh, Phantasm special or something. We were singing the, the 12 days of Phantasm and like everybody join in. And, and we did. And from then it was just like, well, let's keep doing that. <laughs> I think, um, I don't know. It just makes it more fun whenever I can see everybody that's behind the scenes. Mostly <laughs> it's like a little family. <laughs> yeah, well, I like it. It, it. It's great, especially when Joe Bob starts calling for Yuki. Yes, oh lord, Yuki. Man, that's Yuki honestly did. He does. He okay. So he loved doing his little guest spot, but then I t- like I he got so much social media like love, and I showed him that, and he didn't want to be like he's like every time I'm working behind the scenes, people want to put me in front of the camera. I'm behind the scenes for a reason. <laughs> but then I showed him like the 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 love he was getting, and and. And so now he's, like, happy to do it, and he gets all, like, pretty and, and shined up in his little suit and, or whatever, and it's adorable. And I told him, like, he's had, like, leads, like, asking about this stuff. He's like, send him my way. <laughs> he's adorable. I love him, and I'm glad he gets to be on it much more, especially with the bolo stuff that we're doing. He always comes out and talks about the bolo. <laughs> so you mentioned elsewhere that Joe Bob kind of plans for you to have a larger role in the next season. Can you elaborate on what we can kind of expect in this new season? Um, just that. Like, he's kind of wants me to always, like, he kind of always did, but I was, like, so not about it. Like, I was originally supposed to, like, read the mail and stuff like that. <laughs> like, the least I have to say, the better. And now he's kind of guilty me <laughs> into, like, being more of a part of it with him. Um, so, gradually, I, I've gotten more used to that. And so, yeah, like, he tries to, like, he used to just be, like, sometimes at the end, and now he kind of brings me in more during the show, I guess. <laughs> well, like, no, we're happy to see you. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's something to look forward to, because for one thing, I think it's kind of cool that, like, as the male girl, like, you're probably the one who has been most assertive in terms of, like, actually knowing the movies and, and oh, no, I, contributing to the conversation. I'm literally the only one who cares. <laughs> like, I've, I've had to talk to Rusty and Henny and be like, did you guys, like, I'd ask them a question about the movies, and they're like, what, the movies, huh? Like, no. <laughs> like, they could not care less about what they showed. It was all just about, which is fine. That's great. That's really what the character was then. It's just supposed to be someone to come on and fuck with Joe Bob and bring out the mail, and I can't help it. Like, <laughs> like I can't help. Like, because I care so much about it, I can't help saying, why? Why are you showing this? Or how can you say that that sucks? And so he's, like, I was originally written to be, like, the other male girls. I had this whole, like, really part of my French, but very stupid backstory of, like, I was a 
uh, like getting a divorced mom with like two kids who lived in the trailer park and my husband worked at strip club and was a Walmart greeter and I don't know like all kinds of nonsense and I could never remember my lines anyway and I'm just like so eventually now it's just me and we talk about the movies okay I, mean, I, I can almost see where that's <laughs> coming from because that that reminds me of like the the elaborate backstories in Joe Bob's old reviews yeah that's 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 his way and I and would just like, say eh. <laughs> he used to do the same thing in like old monster vision clips too where it's like you know like my favorite example of course is the Friday the 13th marathon that legendary Friday the 13th marathon where you know a killer stalks the studio Aww. and for a long time he thinks it's mama you know mama <laughs> you, you mad at Aww, mama? that's adorable do you know what he had never he hates watching himself he had never seen any of his monster vision stuff like i've only recently gotten to see some of it and one of my showed him was the Friday the 13th because like we have to do something like this and I made him watch it he didn't want to and he was cracking up in himself he's like what was I even thinking this is insane like yes exactly we have to do this again <laughs> agreed those were so good agreed yeah. Yeah. or like the, the Blair Witch one yes or... I know I would have yeah. done more skit stuff <laughs> yeah no that's always fun and and uh so you mentioned watching Monster Vision um any updates on figuring out a way to do something with those old tapes? Well, um, what about their epic road trip? Yeah, that was that was a big deal. That was the first hurdle was getting everything collected and in one space because they were all over Texas and then somewhere here in LA. And now they're all literally with me, which is insane, and I'm scared. <laughs> um, but I'm doing the best I can to take care of them. Uh, there's some setbacks, of course, because of everybody not wanting to work right now. Mm-hmm. But um, a lot of it is on tape, so I think I can just. I can get some of the tape part transferred. He told me there's like 20,000 hours of footage and all the stuff that I have. And some of it's not tape. Some of it's literally film. And it's like, some of it's like not edited. And it's just like stuff people have never seen. It's just, it's insane. So I have to get it out the best I can. I have to figure out who to trust with this too. Because, you know, I have, of course, so many people offering to help, which is great. But I don't know them and I don't want anything to go wrong. So, So I'm trying to figure it out. And I'm hoping to get, um... Hopefully by the end of quarantine or something, I can get at least part of the, the ones that are on tape out because that's going to be the simplest. And I, I don't know exactly how it's going to happen. I'm thinking like streaming first. Um, but I will, I will keep you updated and just the, the simplest I can make it and accessible to as many people as possible because I just literally just want it to be out there and want it to be seen and have people remember just like why he's so beloved. You know, like he's, he's like the freaking king for a reason and a lot of people miss out on all that yeah. besides some crappy like, clips on youtube <laughs> I, I don't know if he knows this but there are, are actually fans who have gone back taken the original films created fan edits of the original films with his monster vision segments put in but the tnt centers have not gotten to these movies in, the, in this form so it still has all the blood and guts and boobs and all the stuff he like, he is aware of these people. They have they've contacted us and they've contacted me. So whenever I get it transferred, they're gonna do it with the stuff we put out too. That's so. cool. Wonderful. So it'll be unofficial or whatever, but then there will be ways to get it like that too. I've <laughs> always felt there needs to be an app that like that lets you simulate the experience of an old mor- of an old um horror host where you it like it works off like time codes on your phone or on the movie or something like that, and it can pause the movie and play a clip. And then restart the movie. Like there, there has to be an app developer out there who's just waiting to make a mint on that idea. 
just like I mean, like some kind of algorithm or something. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good idea. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> but but yes, it is very exciting to us that that if nothing else, that these tapes have survived and that all the footage still exists. That's just great. Same. Like I, it took me so long to convince him that, that people would want them, even if we couldn't do the movies. He, since I met him, he's been saying, Oh, they're just in storage or whatever. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, what are you doing? Like, we need these. And he's like, Oh, but I can't get the movies. There's no point. And so I started putting it out there on social media. Like he's, he pays attention. So like I, I would put out, he says he doesn't want these movies. Tell, tell, let him know he's wrong. <laughs> like, you guys don't want this about the movies. And I got so many responses, and I kept forwarding it to him. He's like, fine, God. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So yeah. It's, it's not exactly the same thing, but, like, the Rift Tracks guys are able to put out, like, commentaries and things where they don't have the rights to the movie, you know? Like, you, you sync it up yourself and make it work. Yeah, it's better than not having it at all, for sure. So, n- now, I'm not keep- exactly keeping count here, but... Short of some women's correctional institution accounts I'm not aware of, are you the most jailed woman on Twitter? <laughs> you know, wow, I bet I probably am, huh? <laughs> it, it is, uh, I mean, and, and of course, we, we did notice that you've created a brand new account uh, specifically for when this happens. <laughs> yeah, I, I, they were already, like, literally from the first day, they were mean because I was trying to follow everyone back. And they immediately put me on, you're liking too many people or comment, or following too many people. And like, good God, Twitter. It's, it's insane. Like how, and, and I think more and more people are getting this as the watch-alongs are such a big deal right now during quarantine. Like, like getting restricted and limits on their accounts for liking too much stuff and retweeting too much stuff. It's insane. Yeah. Like, you don't want us using your service. It's been a while for me, but I, I think it did happen to me at least once during... Not the first marathon, because that one, with the technical difficulties, I wasn't able to, to follow along as much. But I think it was Dinners of Death, where I actually got locked out for a little bit. Wow. Well, good for you, though, because that means you were participating. <laughs> Honestly, oh. none of this was supposed to happen. Like, the mail, like, the tweeting along and stuff wasn't a thing. It just happened because of the, the the first marathon, when everything went crazy, and they're like, how can we get out the word that it's coming? Because people, like, I could start seeing in my feed, were like, oh, it's not happening like well and i was just like started telling people no 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 they're fixing it i promise and giving updates and then i just started from there like retweeting and liking and letting everybody know like other people are here other people are trying to watch it and showing joe ball that people care because he didn't think he might give a shit and wouldn't watch the show and i'm like look at this look at this it just kept going from there and then now it's like well that's what we do now (laughs) so it was well it's great having (laughs) having the mutant fam as part of the experience is is just awesome yeah. And and I think it's sort of proof of how you can make that kind of horror host show work in the streaming era. You know, like that's that's the beauty of it being online like that is that everyone can sort of be a part of the conversation. Yeah, I love that. He when he used to do Monster Disney, he, sh- he said that he was so isolated. He just like kind of put it out there and he gets some like, you know some crazy mail from prison here and there. <laughs> but other than that, he'd never hear much feedback about it. So he didn't know that there was this whole group of us that like grew up loving him. And so now he gets to instantly see that. And it's amazing. And it touched, I see him like get weedy eye with some of the stuff I bring to him and say, look, look how much you matter to people. <laughs> so it's just amazing that that's out there and people are so, I love that he gets to see it. 
<laughs> and and I guess he, he probably wouldn't have been a part of this because I'm sure it was something that was done by corporate TNT or whatever, but Monster Vision actually was one of the first shows to have like an online chat room. Yeah, he's with, I think one time he did like a, a chat along or something um, to promote the show, but other than that, he wasn't really involved with Yeah, like I never really got to participate because back then, you know, I, I was rural South Carolina, so we had dial-up at best and so oh, yeah being able to, to stay online that long just not an option exactly south carolina as well woo, woo. and definitely in like like internet like i think i was trying to buy web tv or something <laughs> like i'll figure out a way <laughs> <laughs> oh man back in the day where i'm also south carolina born and raised and it's just uh, what are you guys? To, um i'm originally from saluda and i'm originally from union okay yeah. i'm charleston yeah yeah and and uh you got the good part of the state. <laughs> you got the beaches. Well, I lived all over South Carolina and North Carolina, but Charleston's where I'm from. from. <laughs> Very cool. Well, one thing I do want to say is I, I actually did, in preparation for this, get a chance to watch the uh, Friday the 13th minutes that you're in. <laughs> and, and really enjoyed it. It was fun. Hey. It sort of captured the vibe of the late 80s Friday the 13th movies. I honestly still have it watched it yet but um i'm hearing a lot of people do like it and that makes me really happy because there's definitely a lot of love put behind it so the fact that so many people enjoy it is just like yay i'm really happy joe Bob's supposed to be doing the, the driving totals for that um when they're putting out a blu-ray version uh but we have to be able to oh, get cool. together again so post quarantine look for that <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So as the male girl, you're kind of the definition of an essential worker, but and I know your time <laughs> is very precious. Yeah, but there is something, there's something we definitely have to get on before we let you go. Okay. What's going on with Hogzilla? Ooh, I don't know what I should say about that. Let's just say Darcy gets her way. <laughs> like no, no always bet on Darcy, man. <laughs> Every time. That is that's exciting to hear. There's no way I was just gonna let that go. <laughs> Absolutely not. Well, I saw him trying to weasel out of that. He, he, he ain't weaseling uh, out of nothing. With uh... <laughs> I, I honestly like I tracked that down. I talked to the the director. There's some editing stuff that she wanted to get to. That she's like the original editor died. That's why nothing ever happened with it. And it kind of just got on the back burner. It was gone for like 10 years and she didn't think about it. And, and I found her and we, we got together and made it, but then complications, whatever. Ugh, I wish I could say more, but. Well, it, it is exciting that you have been on the case because clearly you know how to get things done. How about this? Hogzilla lives. How's that? Is that cryptic enough? That works for me. <laughs> I'm just assuming that's the name of some sequel that's going to be announced soon. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I was trying to talk him into a sequel. <laughs> like, there's more to be told of the story. That's great. <laughs> and and so, of course, the new season of Last Drive-In is airing Friday nights, 9 p.m. on Shutter. 9 p.m. Eastern, yeah. 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Yeah. The new episode is available now, so go check it out, guys. Yay! And so, Diana Prince, thank you again for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. It's my pleasure. All right. Thank you so much again. All right. Bye, guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. And she's gone. She disappeared. You know, 
it occurs to me really we really should have asked her to take us with her. Oh god damn it. Uh, yeah. We really need to start thinking about these things when they happen. Right. Like you would think we would just have an escape plan, you know? Like we should just be ready for whenever we inevitably are able to get someone magically to appear that we should also be able to magically disappear with them. Or like have them contact our families or the authorities or you know. She could have taken something. letters or or like recordings. But who writes letters anymore? That's right. Postal service is dying anyway. Yeah. However, if you want to write us here at Tomb of Ideas, you can do so by sending us a little email. That's one of those electronic uh, correspondence to our email address. It's tombofideas at gmail.com. You can also reach us at Twitter at tombofideas. Sorry, twitter.com slash tombofideas. We're also available on Facebook, facebook.com slash tombofideas. And... You know, I don't think we have got a snail mail address. I don't know the address here, do you? I still am not entirely clear on where we are, or even if we're in the continental United States. Or even in our home dimension. Right. But, we do have a home at Cinepunks.com, where you can find our show along with all kinds of other great podcasts and articles, including the flagship Cinepunks show, Horror Business, Cinema Smorgasbord, and the brand new show on the Cinepunks lineup, Weird, Obscure, and Possibly Unsafe. They are covering all kinds of weird stuff, conspiracy theories, cryptids, uh, urban legends, all kinds of crazy stuff like that. There are three or four episodes in now, and I definitely recommend giving them a listen. So it's basically like Liam's Twitter? Sort of, yeah. Yeah, and of course you can find them along with our back catalog, on cinepunks.com, that's cinepunks with an X, or at your podcatcher of choice, whether that's iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you go to download podcasts, uh, give a search for Cinepunks, and you should see all kinds of cool stuff. That's right. And I think, Trey, that does do it for another episode of Tomb of Ideas. Yeah, um, we do have uh, some more comics coming up next time. For for our next episode, we will be looking at Marvel Spotlight number 14, Frankenstein number 9, and Man-Thing number 3. Mmm, Man-Thing. That, that good Gerber weirdness. I wonder if that's going to be Plug's first issue. Probably not. Uh, it's not. He, I think he takes over with five. Ooh, something to look forward to. Exactly. But until then, I think that does it. Bye-bye. Bye. You have been listening to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. Until next time, Tombers. Excelsior! Ha 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 ha!